So Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 50. So last week, we were looking at Jesus and um, not necessarily the details of the gruesomeness of the crucifixion, but more what Jesus was doing and how loving he was. And, and the reality of what uh, Jesus was put to death on and, and how he was put to death. He was put to death through crucifixion, but more through crucifixion by his willingness to pay for the price of our sin and the willingness to go to that extent for us. And now it is key that he was crucified. It was key to the gospel that he died and the price was paid for our sin. But what is just as important, if not more important than him dying on the cross for our sin is his burial and his resurrection. All three things are necessary and important. If you had just his death on the cross, just like any other sinner would have been at the time, even though he was a sinless, perfect sacrifice, it still would not hold weight or merit until you have his resurrection, which is God's acceptance of that sacrifice. God's approval of it, if you would, the receipt for the price that was paid. So you have the death, his death, which was the price. You could say the burial, which was the transferring of that funds into that account, if you would. And then the resurrection, the receipt for what was done and the acceptance of that receipt. And so in verse 50, when we start here this morning, we're going to kind of go through the burial and, and look at the men who were willing to be identified with Jesus at that point and, and what it means. And, and it really does compare to how Jesus, and when we choose to be identified to Jesus, what that looks like. And so verse 50, it says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. So you have this man who is known, Joseph, we'll find out, of Arimathea. He is a good man. He's a just man. And um, he is actually a well-respected man. And um, they kind of gave him a certain title. There was only 14 men known ever in the Jewish Sanhedrin to receive that title. So he was a well-respected man, not necessarily because of power or position, but because of character, he was very well respected. And so you have this man who is a Jewish leader. He is part of the council. He is a good and a just man and well respected. And in verse 51, it says, and he had not consented to the decision nor the, and the deeds. So the council makes the decision to kill Jesus, put him on the cross. He was either there and did not vote or maybe he was left out of the vote altogether. They didn't call him to the, the gatherings, you know, what had taken place before, or he just decided possibly not even to vote on the matter and kept out of it. And he was also of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, okay, who he himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. So we have this man, we have where he's from, the city where he's from, and I think that Luke brings this out in important, we'll see later of why it was important of where he was from, that he wasn't from Jerusalem. But he is there, and he is there waiting for the kingdom of God. 
He is legitimately waiting for the kingdom of God, which you would think all the Sanhedrin, all the Jewish leaders would be wanting the kingdom of God, which as you look at them through all the gospels as we've gone through, you realize that's not the case. Many of them are about their own kingdom in light of God, you know, using God to get their own kingdom and those things, but not desiring the kingdom of God. But this man is desiring the kingdom of God. And it becomes real evident here as... Um, Verse 52, it says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, normally this wouldn't happen. So Jesus is crucified on the cross. He, he, he dies there. And Joseph of Arimathea and actually um, uh, Nicodemus, another man in the Sanhedrin, went and got Jesus. He, they go and they ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, what would have happened normally with crucifixion and the body, they would be left up there possibly for days and picked apart by the animals and tore apart until there was very little left or thrown in uh, Gehenna, the dump, where there was always a fire and just thrown out there for the animals and whatever to devour it. They, it wasn't, everybody didn't get buried. In our culture now, everybody gets some kind of funeral, burial, thing. you know, you don't go to the city dump and find dead bodies. Or you shouldn't go to the city dump and find dead bodies, maybe. But you... You look at that, right? But that was commonplace. But the poor did not have gravesites. So those things didn't happen. And for Joseph at this point to come and ask Pilate for the body is a dangerous and risky thing. It puts him in a situation of identifying with them and caring for him. And now he is not just that. He is no longer the possible saved Messiah. He, he, he's dead at this point. And you're going to risk everything for that Savior who hasn't even risen yet. And this man, they had, you know, both those men had a lot, a lot to sacrifice at this time. You know, and it's possible when you, when you look at this and, and identifying and caring about this, it's, it's possible, you know, you, you, you almost want to look at these guys and go, you kind of look at some of these biblical stories and you, you take away the human aspect, right? I'm thinking, okay, if, if you're... If you're there and you're Joseph and you're trying to get the body from Pilate, right? You could convince him, hey, we need to protect this body. You know, he's going to be risen again. We know the other Sanhedrin, they were wanted guards around the tomb because, hey, they remembered he was going to rise again in three days, right? Joseph could have said, hey, you know, we need to get this body down. It doesn't look good. You know, he was kind of there. Maybe somebody will steal it. You know, we need to kind of control the situation. He, he could have even, uh, you know, if you would, come up with a reason that sounded that he really didn't care about Jesus' body, but his own neck, in a sense, right? But what ends up changing that and where we can really see that this wasn't his intention or his heart, even though that could have been something easily said. I mean, that, I don't know. That's what I would have done if I was this guy, you know? And normally, even somebody who is crucified, only maybe if Rome was nice enough to let a family member have the body, would they ever even let the person have the body? So Joseph coming in, I could see Pilate at the same time going, here, you crucified him and all this. Now, somebody wants a body, sure, I'm going to upset the Jews by, you know, doing this. I could see Pilate kind of stabbing back at it. But what also, interestingly enough, happened at this time and the things going on and the, the events surrounding his death so Pilate, remember, didn't want to kill him, sends him off to Roman crucifixion, probably thought it was going to possibly take days, hours, who knew how long. And then here comes the situation where the earth goes dark. There's an earthquake. Do you think Pilate was really thinking about Jesus at that point? 
with all the different Roman gods and everybody else, you talk about panic in the world. I mean, Jerusalem's in panic. These things have happened. People are going on. People are wondering, you know, there, there's probably people flocking to temples of false gods thinking it's the end of the world or they got to please God. I mean, at this point, everything's there. So when Joseph of Arimathea shows up, the Nicodemus and asks for the body, we find in the other Gospels, Pilate was surprised he was already dead. Actually sent the Romans and asked, hey, is he, is he already, he already died? And then maybe you start putting the pieces together. Well, when did he die? Well, that's when the start you know, and at that point going, okay, just let them have them, you know, kind of wanting to stay out of it and maybe not wanting to desecrate the body anymore, even possibly with Pilate at that point. You know, even Joseph and Nicodemus, even though he was even considered to be a disciple of Jesus and liked what he said, you know, the political pressure and everything, he, was, he wasn't totally for Jesus beforehand, right? He wasn't against. I didn't cast my vote. I just stayed quiet. I wasn't going to come out on his side. I stayed quiet. But now that this has happened, now that the temple veil ripped, now that this has happened, boy, I realize I'm on the wrong side of it. Realize I had to make a choice and I did not. And it's easy kind of for us to look at these things and go, okay, well, you know, where are these men's heart? And in verse 53, I think it really shows these two men's heart. They are very wealthy, very well off. And in verse 53, it says, Then he took it down and wrapped it, the body of Jesus, and wrapped it in linen and laid it in the tomb that was hewed out of rock where no one had ever laid before. So Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, he himself, the scripture says, took Jesus off the cross. It doesn't take much to imagine what that would look like. How would you accomplish that physically? A body that's been beaten, covered in blood, bruised, to take it off and to prepare it for burial, which would include washing it down, removing all the dried blood and all those things, just even removing the nails to get him off the cross and wrapping him in linen and preparing him in that way. What's interesting about this, I also find, is here you have a Jewish leader over you know, part of the Sanhedrin and all these things doing this act, a rich man. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that go, oh, the swooned Jesus, which basically means Jesus passed out on the cross and he woke up in the tomb later. He didn't really die. Well, that kind of leaves a big problem with this man here. Because, you know, you can say, okay, the disciples decided to believe in, you know, make up a story and we all believed it and all this and this. This man has everything, as you will see, to lose and does lose everything, him and Nicodemus, to identify with Christ in this way. And to also, what would be their benefit if he did not pass away? What would be the thing? They've lost all for this. And so they sat there, they cleaned his body, removed the splinters and all those things from him, identified to him. And that's really, I believe, shows their heart and how they cared. They took him and they put him in his tomb. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, where his family and Dodd and everybody else had been buried for centuries, has a tomb in Jerusalem. Not just a tomb, a tomb that was chiseled out of rock. A tomb that would have cost more than any of us could imagine these days. 
the amount of labor at the time with the technology, they didn't have blasting. Can you imagine men working for years to create a tomb in the side of a rock face where you could stand in it, most likely two chambers chiseled out of the rock? So at great expense, he made this tomb. No one had ever been buried in it before. He did not have a family tomb in the area where dads and, you know, had other people had passed. Most of the time in Jerusalem, what they did with a body is they would wrap it in spices and everything for the smell, laid in the tomb. It was such a dry area. Within three or four years, there would be all dust and bones, and then they would put the dust and bones into a smaller sepulchral box, leave it in the tomb, and it would be ready for the next person, next family member, to go through the same process. And so they would open the tomb kind of at those times. But you have this tomb, very expensive tomb. Here Joseph wants to be buried. His desire was to be buried in Jerusalem. Why? For when the Messiah comes, he wanted to be front and center. He didn't want to be back in Arimathea. That's the whole reason he wanted to be buried in Jerusalem. And here, he, being a, that man desiring to see the kingdom of God, desiring to see the Savior, now is burying, cleaning, not hiring. There's nothing in the scriptures that would say that he put servants over this, but he himself taking care of the body, tending to the body, and placing the body in the tomb. And so... It's kind of interesting to see, and we know after this, as this is happening, and he's wrapped it, and he's put it in, and he's placed it in the tomb where no one had laid before, there's other things going on. In the background, you have the Jewish leaders going to Pilate and saying, hey, we need to put guards in front of this tomb. He's supposed to rise again in three days. They send out a garrison, which is either 16 or 24 guys that's under debate, and they send them out to that. And verse 54 says that, and that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. So the Sabbath is coming. The Jews did not want to have a body hanging on a cross at that time anyways, would always always ask, but not always be granted that the, the people would not be killed on the Sabbath. So if they were still alive, they needed to be taken care of before sundown on Friday. Because the Sabbath ran from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And so as that drew near, they wanted to make sure Jesus was already gone. They've taken the body, they put him in the ground. And verse 55, And the women who had come with him from from, uh, Galilee followed him after him, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. So the women that were there watching afar off when the crucifixion came, watching afar off when the Jewish leaders beat their chests and left, now they've seen the body of Jesus being pulled off the cross, by Joseph and Nicodemus there. They see it being prepped, and they've been continued to watch from afar off as these things happen. And these men are obviously with the Passover approaching quickly in a rush to entomb the body and to do the necessary preparations. You can imagine that these men, to touch a dead body would make you unclean for the Sabbath and all these things. So do you think they've ever prepped a dead body before? Probably not. These women, on the other hand, are very possibly have been part of that, right? You look at Lazarus and some of these things. So these women are watching afar off. They say these things going on. And then in verse 56, they, then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And so they see what these men have done, 
and just typical thing like when women are watching men do things, they decide we got to fix it. <laughs> it was done wrong. They didn't have the preparation right. Or immediately they decide we need to get the oils and the fragrance. They did not do this job right. And it could have just been their heart of wanting to be part of it, but you know, they've kind of seen what's gone on and like, man, we're going back, we're preparing. So they cannot prepare on the Sabbath though. They have to follow the Sabbath day. And I'm sure they did not rest on that day as was commanded the, if you would, kind of the last Sabbath there, the last legitimate Sabbath in the Bible. And so these men though, as they went and they prepared to be identified with Christ, gave up everything. We know of Nicodemus, his daughter had one of the most expensive weddings known in Jerusalem ever. And within five years from now, there are records of her gathering barley that was meant to be fed to cattle. In other words, grabbing the barley that was left over in the mill from the ground as something to eat. That's how impactful this was on Nicodemus's family to where his daughter who had this luxurious wedding later is scrounging for cattle feed. The cost for these men was great. And it's easy to look down and go, all oh, these rich men and identify with Christ, what would be there? And even today there are costs that um, we are so lucky not to have to endure in this country. You know, you look at being identified with Jesus in his death. Does that sound familiar? How many people in here have been baptized? And you're laying down that old life in death and identifying with him that we lay down this old nature, this old life, and we are raised again with Christ. And in our cultures, that's not a thing. Many other cultures, India. You can be a Christian. You can say you're a Christian. The second you're baptized, you are now excommunicated from your family. These men were to be excommunicated. You think of the blind man who came and was healed. Jesus healed him from birth. He was blind. And the Sanhedrin called the parents in and say, hey, was your kid really blind? Yeah, he was blind from the world. Well, what happened? When did it happen? It happened on the Sabbath. Well, how did this happen? How did Jesus do it? And out of fear, they said, well, why don't you go talk to him? Leave us out. We don't know what happened. We don't know what happened with our kid. Yeah, he was blind from birth. We're out. It's a mystery to us, you know. Why did they do that? Out of fear. Because there was, if anybody was to do anything with Jesus, to even be there, to have a miracle done, they were to be excommunicated. And you think, okay, excommunicated, what does that mean? Well, here in our culture, okay, if you get excommunicated from a church or whatever, I mean, it's not there. Could you imagine, okay, going, none of your family is going to talk to you again. None of your business transaction, anybody that owes you money or any business transaction, people cannot buy or sell from you. Your boss is no longer, you're fired immediately. And so you have what's on your back and your family is going to send you away with on your back. And most likely you're going to have to go to a foreign country. Imagine if somebody took everything you had for me and said, okay, you have to go live in a foreign country. Who wants to move to Brazil with nothing? I mean, right? It, it, it's severe. And that's what happened to these men to be identified with Christ. And even now, that's kind of a challenge. You know, Nicodemus or uh, uh, Joseph Arimathea, later we, uh, later we see him. Um, he ends up actually, there's, you know, not biblical records, but other records that show he was preaching in Britain, that he actually went and preached the gospel in Britain. Here this Jewish man is in exile in Britain teaching the gospel. But you see these things and to lay down that old life, to simply lay down that old life. And when you think about that, what does that take? And these men, it's, it's kind of interesting, almost like birth. Many times we think, oh, somebody believes and it's 
boom, like that, and everything's 100%, but that's not the case. You know, just like a, women, a woman giving birth, what, when does that happen? Well, nine months. You tell me, how often does the doctor get that right? Not very often. Same in a life as a believer, right? Sometimes there's a process to it. And these men, I believe truly, they are human. They had a process. They had real finances. They had real family members to concern themselves with if they identified real fears and dangers. But when the cross happened and the earthquake happened, they realized, man, nothing here is worth it. They considered the eternal. They made a choice. And they laid those things aside. And really for us, there's that time that comes. And if you haven't made that choice of sitting down and going, you know what? I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his disciple. But am I laying down my life? Am I walking away from my desires, my plans, and I'm putting that old nature to death? We're going to lay it down, and I'm going to be a new creation. You know, we have had some people in our home, and... um, you know, coming off drugs and stuff like that. One of the rules we started at a point because of some stubborn people was, hey, if you mess up before you can come back in the house, we're not just going to let you walk back in. There's got to be a cost. And you've got to dig a three-foot wide by six-foot wide and six-foot deep hole. You've got to dig a grave in the backyard. And the thought was, you're going to bury that old man, whatever center, whatever, you're going to be done with it. You've got to make that choice. You know, and then... Sometimes we knew some people that would have dug a hole every day, but um, gladly, <laughs> not even sober, you know, but um, you sit there and you look at that and that's the thing is, okay, are we done with our old nature? And it's amazing to actually not just identify and accept God's forgiveness, but actually to consider your old life and your old will dead. Some of us go, yeah, I didn't like all the things I did before I was saved. Now I got saved, but you know, I've resurrected certain parts. You know, I'm not, I don't do meth and I don't do these horrible things anymore, but I still do these other things. You know, I'm still this, I'm still running around with girls or whatever, right? And, and you kind of think about it. I, you know, you look at all the zombie movies today. What, what are they? They're people half dead. You know, what happens if you de- bury a body and only parts of it come back alive? You look like a zombie. I see a lot of zombie Christians running around. Quote, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't follow him everywhere. But I'm not doing drugs. I mean... Your rest of your life's a mess, you know? And if anything, you're infecting other people. So anyways, my little kick on a zombie there. But you look at it, yeah, Halloween, zombie, whatever, no. But anyways, you look at those things, though, and it's not natural. And there's some things we, let, we don't leave dead, we don't leave buried, we pull back up. And these men, to identify with Christ, to, to say, hey, my old life is gone. I am now burying myself with Christ and identifying with his death. And so you have these two men who made that choice of great cost, lost all this to be identified with his death before he was even to rise again. You know, it is said, our faith with no resurrection is empty, has no value. If Jesus didn't die, his death, burial, and resurrection, if all three didn't happen, he's just another man that died. His resurrection is again the receipt is the proof of acceptance it has no power if he did not rise again and chapter 24 verse 1 says now on the first day of the week very early in the morning they and a certain other women went with them came into the tomb bringing with them the spices which they had prepared so these women who saw the men go out and prepare this 
They have to take the Sabbath day off, which again, I'm sure was not restful, but the first day they can come. So they didn't go that night. Sabbath ends on Saturday at, min at dark. You weren't going out and traveling around at dark. They didn't have cars with headlights and all these things. And so to go out, especially to the tomb, they came, the first chance they got was the first light that next morning, and they head out there. And this is now the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday. And the resurrection had such a great effect on the believers in the church and the value of the first church that the first day of the week, Sunday, is now when they meet, was this first time. And so here, the first Sunday after the resurrection, they head out. And they're there. And so it's kind of weird for us to think, I mean, because I don't know, you guys think of Sunday, a day of rest and everything else. To really slow down and even think of that's kind of odd. I mean, you realize back then, of course, they only said it was the first day, second day of the week, third day of the week. They only went up to the seven to the Sabbath. But when you sit there and you look at it, I mean, do you realize what Jesus here did? He made Monday cursed for all everybody else. Everybody else curses Monday now instead of Sunday. Now, <laughs> But you kind of look at it and just the graph, the change. And so they head out there. They head out there with their spices and their, their herbs. And they, you have these women. We know there's Mary Magdalene who, who Jesus uh, uh, cast seven demons out of. There's nothing in the scriptures that says she was a prostitute like people assume. And, and the, the mother of James and John. And they're out there and they're going to the temple or to the, to the tomb Right, And they're going there, and, and the other Gospels on the way, they, they discuss how they're going to roll the tomb away, or the, the stone away from the front of the temple. So you'd have the rock hewn out, there would be a trough, there would be a large rock in front of it, and they would roll this boulder in front of it so it could not be removed. At this time, there wasn't going to be valuables buried in. Um, under one of the Roman, or one of the priests, Gamilia, he, he basically said, hey, you shouldn't be. They used to bury rich people with their jewelry and stuff. So you'd see, you want it assumed from robbers and everything else, just like a pharaoh's tomb, you'd want it sealed well. At this time, it was, you know, they looked at the old thing, and the Bible says, you know, you came in with, with the world naked, and you'll leave naked. And so they kind of changed that tradition around at that time. But it would have been there to protect the tomb. It was designed where it would not be moved easily, where it would be done, you know, locked in place. And so as these women go out, they start asking themselves, they're going, they've been prepared, they've waited the whole day. They're going out in another gospel, they're talking about how, who's going to remove the stone for us. And so they head out, and it's interesting to think of all the people Jesus sends to the tomb, right? The ones that are going out. Where's his disciples? Not there. Kind of interesting, they're heading out there. The first announcement went out to women, right? The women, the Savior's coming. To Mary came out the announcement, the birth announcement of Christ was first to a woman. And here the resurrection is also first to women. And verse 3, and it says, And they went and in and did not find the body of... Well, I skipped a, skipped a little important verse here. <laughs> verse 2, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And actually not just ro rolled away, this word is not just rolled, even in uh, Mark is even more, it's thrown away. It's not like there's stone marks. It was chucked away. Okay, so they get there, the stone that would have took several men to move is chucked out of the way. And they, 
they ask, you know, here they go. They were asking how it would happen. And they get there and the stone is moved away from the thing. And now we know in the other accounts when the Roman garrison that was there, there was an earthquake. Knocks them all in their behind. And their stone is thrown. Not that the angel threw the stone necessarily away, but the angel of the stone is removed, thrown a distance from the front of the temple, and an angel sitting on the stone. Going, hey guys, what's up? Okay. These women did not know that Roman garrison were there. They did not know the tomb was sealed with a seal from Rome. And for two reasons, they wouldn't have gone at all. Okay. A Roman garrison at that time, if the general had come to check on them and one man was asleep in the garrison, the whole garrison was killed for one man sleeping. Okay. If you caught one of your fellow soldiers sleeping, the tradition and what was expected was you would light his skirt, yes, skirt back then, men, on fire to wake him up. A little rude awakening, but it would cost you your life. And so there was no way these women, men, there was no getting through these men, there was no breaking through this group. If those men were there, they wouldn't have come. Number two, if they would have just known those men weren't there, but there was a Roman seal on it. If they found the person that removed a Roman seal, guess what would happen? Crucifixion. Guess what happened if they couldn't figure out who cracked the seal? The whole village the person was from would be crucified. Okay, so if they knew this, these women would not be coming to the entrance of the tomb. They would not be headed there, right? But they get there, the stone has been rolled away, it's moved. They went in, and verse 3 it says, and then they went into it in and did not find the body of the Lord there. So they go in and the tomb is empty. And so you have these soldiers, the situation happens, they're there, the tomb is empty, and if you were writing a good story, your English teacher would start to mark you down here. Because a good story would go, okay, so what happened to the body of Jesus? You don't leave that blank. You need a description of what happened with the resurrection. What happened to the body? How did it happen? A brilliant light and it flashed and all this. No, there isn't there. We don't have that in Gospels. All we have is the soldiers get knocked down. They didn't actually see the body get resurrected. The tomb, the stone wasn't moved away so Jesus could get out. He wasn't on the backside of the rock going, okay, I'm ready. Let me out of here. We know in other things, he shows up and appears in rooms that aren't locked, that all the windows and doors are shut and locked. So in the other account later, when we look in scripture, he's with them, and then poof, he's not with them. So Jesus did not need to be led out of the tomb by the stone. The stone was removed, and I'm sure it was removed very within, you know, moments, just in enough time for these women to get there at the right time to see it. You know what I mean? To see what was going on, to see what had happened, because this tomb was open so that they would see in that we could see the empty tomb. And so, again, if man was writing this story, wouldn't you have the Roman soldiers running away because Jesus came out of the tomb and pushed the rock away himself and all his power and glory? I mean, wouldn't you have some kind of description of what happened there? Here this great, pivotal, miraculous thing happens and you have no record of it. You know why? Because no one was there to see it. Simple as that. And so you look at these things and you see the stone rolled away. You know, and there's so many people that come up against the scripture and come up with different theories. You know, you look at um, 
Lee Strobel, the case for Christ and all this, he had it right when if you could disprove the resurrection and death of Christ, the death and resurrection, you can disprove the whole Bible. The rest of it is pointless. It's another pointless religion. Some would say the argument, oh, the girls went to the wrong tomb. Well, they saw where he was laid, they came back and they went to the wrong tomb. So they missed all the soldiers standing around the other one still? I mean, the wrong tomb? So, you know, they've got the spices, they got the herbs, they got everything, and they just found the wrong one, and Jesus is still in the right tomb somewhere. So here's a question with that argument real quick. So say Jesus was still in the right tomb and they got the wrong tomb. And the Jewish leaders, when everybody said he rose from the dead, said, oh, he's in this one over here? You got the wrong address? No, I mean, it would be obvious. That's, that's kind of a silly even response when you even simply look at it. The others say, well, they made it up. They made it up. They wanted it to happen so bad that they invented the story that he rose from the dead. And as you go through Scripture and you start to see the disciples and their response, it's very clear that wasn't their response. They went there with what? Spices and herbs and all these things. Why? Because his body, they thought, was dead. If you were making this up again, they would have come to find, we went to see if he actually, his promises came true. We went to find what we would expect. No, they went to find a dead body. That's what they expected. It wasn't there. You know, others say, well, there's grave robbers. Again, get through the Roman garrison. What interest would you have in the body of Jesus? Grave robbers? And that's where these things, who would even, I mean, another tomb possibly, but not a tomb behind the seal of Rome. You're not going to risk your life to rob the body of Jesus. Why? What value is there? You know, even the 12 disciples or the 11 that were left, there is no way with that Roman guard would they have ever had or withstood a chance. And that you would have expected also, if you were making the story up, that woman, the women, wouldn't have been first. You know why? Because again, women had no legal right of a testimony. You couldn't trust them. They weren't even allowed to be led into court. You couldn't not, a woman's testimony had no value. That would have been common. That would have been, no, that's the last person you send there. You, you, you'd make a good story up. You'd want somebody with good credit. Forget, forget disciples that were, you know, grungy men. I mean, you want guys with good, good records, you know, no, no arrest and all this. If you're going to get some witnesses, you've got to get the right witnesses there, not, not women. And there's so many things with this scripture, and, and if you ever get a chance to even look, listen to the movie or even read the book, Lee Strobel, it's awesome, and all the details he goes through regarding these things. And in verse 4, they got there and they were so happy to see what they expected, the risen Savior, right? No. Verse 4, and it says, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So there's two men there, this shining garments, this term is the same term used on the Mount of Transfiguration, how Jesus looked like lightning. And they're sitting there, they're perplexed. Even at this point, they're there, they brought their spices, expensive spices, to find a dead body. You know? They're there to, to find the dead Savior, and they are perplexed. They are totally 
not expecting what, they're still expecting a dead body. They, they don't get it. They don't understand. And then as they were afraid, because they saw these two angels, and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Clear translation is, why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? Why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? It's interesting to see they come and they're there and they're seeking this and they're looking for Jesus dead. They don't realize what was going on. They did not remember his words. And in verse 6 it says, He is not here, but he is ridden. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Remember? He told you everything that was going to happen. And you missed it. You weren't there. The Jewish leaders remembered. They were worried about it. This hoax. If this man, if this dead body gets out, we're in trouble. You know, the Roman garrison, when they left, did they go back to their general? No, they didn't go back to their general. They went to the Jewish priest. You know why they went to the priest? Because they knew if they went back to the general, we lost the body. We're all dead. There's one person that has an interest and keeping us alive and not us dead and keeping the story quiet and these are the priests and they got paid and they fled for their lives. They got paid off. Spread a lie and run. Yes, you have a whole military garrison, right? And you're going to admit that these 11 fishermen, your story is these 11 fishermen came in, beat you guys up and stole the body. Yep, that's what we're going with. That's the story we're going with. Right? Like, that's just entertaining, hilarious. Right? You got these little fishermen, Peter, who cannot wield the sword with a darn, we find out. You know? It's probably swinging from the backside. Took out this garrison. That's the story they came up with. That's what they were told to say and repeat. And that's why it didn't get any traction. They knew better. And so you have this, and they're coming there, and they're looking for the body of Christ. And he says, hey, remember. These two angels sit there, and they remember what happened. Remember what Jesus said. And none of us in here could doubt that these women loved Jesus, right? Did they love Jesus? Deeply love Jesus? So how did they miss that? How did they miss what he had said? You women know exactly how, because your husband doesn't hear half the stuff he, you say, right? <laughs> I told you, no, you didn't. I love you, honey, but, you yeah. know. Right? They missed it. They didn't understand it, and they missed it. They didn't remember the words of the Lord. They're in this situation. They've seen these horrible things happen, and they're doubting, really, even though they love Jesus, they were doubting what he had said, what he had told them. They had missed it. They did not remember. And in verse 8, and they remembered his words. So at that point, they tell him what's going on. They remember, oh yeah, that's what he said. Again, if you made this up, they would have went there to find the Savior. Again, you would not have women there, and nor would you have the first people to share the good news of the resurrection, the full gospel, or the fully fulfilled gospel, be women. You would have his disciples. Wouldn't that make sense? These are the men he trusted. These are the men there. Of course, they're the ones that are going to get the message first. No. But instead, these women are the first ones to share the gospel. Verse 9, they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And these great 
godly spirit, you know, used men that have been part of the miracles of Jesus that went out and healed people, watched Lazarus come back alive. These great men, you know. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to they, the apostles, right? Not the apostles, this is the A-team. Right? And these great men of God, the ones that have been there at the miracle, saw Lazarus come out of the tomb, the Mount of Transfiguration. And verse 11, it says, And their words seemed to them like idle tells, and they did not believe them. Again, this is Luke, Dr. Luke. This word idle tells means crazy. You guys are outside of your mind. You've lost it. Something, you know, you've, you've, you've eaten some poison or something. Something's wrong. Their, their response was, yep, yeah, that's what, I'm glad it happened. I was worried about going up there, you know, woohoo, the Savior rose. That wasn't their response. Again, men that knew Jesus were his disciples, understand his word, walked with him for how long, and yet they missed it. And when it even came and said, this actually happened. Remember, he said this. Remember, he did this. He remembered this. He was supposed to rise again on the third day. And they go, you guys are crazy. Again, most of us men do that with our wives. No. <laughs> Honey, you're crazy. But no, you sit there and you look at it. And it really makes you slow down and think. You go, okay, where, where, where are you at? Is there things God has told you where you've forgotten and didn't remember? Is that true, Lord? You've said, is that true? Verse 12 says, But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw that the linen clothes were laying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. In the Gospel of John, we know John, because he likes to break on himself, said he ran with Peter and he beat him there, but he didn't go in the tomb, he waited for Peter. And he got there, and when he saw those things, John says he believes, and Peter marveled. There's a difference between marveling at the things of the Lord and believing in the things of the Lord. And so it's kind of interesting. You look at this, and I, 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 you really want to go, man, how did they miss this? How did they miss this? How did they miss this? How many times in my life God goes, how did you miss that, Tim? Did not I say... Did not I promise you when you got into that and you prayed about that and you sat down about praying about that ministry, didn't I promise you I was going to work in that? But Lord, you don't understand everything going on now. Well, let me figure it out. I, I, I did the math on this for you, Lord, and that miracle isn't, um, doesn't really fit in a budget quite well. I mean, we do it with things like that. We do it with relationships. Does your, does your, really, does your word really say, you know, I shouldn't be with this person. I mean, it's okay, you know. What, what's your promises? God, I know, I know you love me. I know you know the desires of my heart. I know you'll bring that person along when it's time. But you know what? Instead, I'm going to pick this person because, you know, they're not a believer yet. But, you know, once I marry him, I get him into church long enough for her, you know, they'll change. Those things we don't remember. And it's not a lack of love of God or anything else, but we forget. What's the easiest way not to forget? To hear it again and again and again. If you're in the Word every day of the day of the week, doing the reading, going through in discipleship, listening to the Holy Spirit, God's going to be faithful to remember you. 
remember this, remember that, remember I told you this, calm down. And there's many times if it's health issues or all those things, many times we go and we freak out and go, ah, God, I don't, I don't believe this, you know. I sit down and, you know, people want to get into huge, deep discussions on theology, and I go, yeah, my favorite verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and earth. And if I can believe that, I'll be doing good. Do you guys believe God created the heavens and the earth? Yep. I do until my city of Lodi utility bill comes. And then suddenly he didn't. Suddenly, it's the you know, city of Lodi is bigger than God, and I can't afford it, and it's the end of the world. You know, ah, God, you said. No. That's it, kids. No more conditioning, no more water. We're digging a latrine. No. Live off the grid in Lodi, downtown Lodi. No. But you look at these things, right? We sit there and go, okay. And so as we do, it's kind of interesting. I love the way God lines things up. This morning, we have communion this morning. And to remember the sacrifice, he laid our, the price that was paid, his body, to identify with that and to lay our lives down with him. And then also to remember what he has told you. Each one of us in here, when you, you know, you talk about returning to your first love, what was it like when you first met Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior? What's changed? He hasn't changed. His promises hasn't changed. What has he done in your life? What did it look like beforehand? Is something, was something dead and buried and you were a new creation? Have you resurrected anything you shouldn't have in your life? Oh yeah, I should have left that buried, Lord. You saved me from that. Why am I bringing it back? You know, remember what God's done in your life. Remember what he's promised to do in your life. You know, each one of us in here, as you've studied the word, God's made promises. God's got a calling on your life. And those things, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he's working in your life. If you've never got to the point and just surrendered your life and said, God, I want to I lay my life down. That old nature needs to be out of the way and I want to trust in you. I'd love to talk to you after about that. I'd love to talk to you guys about what baptism means because sometimes we believe in making that public confession. For me, that was a choice, being raised in the church, and I don't know how many times I prayed to accept Christ. You know, growing up as a kid in the church, you always just made sure you were covered step by step. But when I was 16, there was a point where I looked at my life and I said, no, I don't want to serve myself. I want God to be 100% in control. My desires, my plans for my life, I'm going to lay down God and let you take control. And so I chose my choice to be baptized not anybody else, not being baptized as a child or anything else, but my choice to lay down my life and be identified with him in death and resurrection and letting him live. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, help us to remember you. Help our love to grow deeper, but also that we would remember your words. That you've spoken to us, that you've spoken into our lives and our heart, God. Help us to just lay our old lives down and, and just not be resurrecting things. If we got to lay some of that old man down again, I God, I just pray we just do it this morning as we wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.